Matthew chapter 2 as we do a brief Bible study. Now some of you when I said brief are already cringing because you're looking at the notes and saying there's nine points. There were 15. Okay, so I had a New Year's resolution. I'll do a little bit shorter. <laughs> Here's where we wanted to start this morning. It's New Year's. Let me do a little bit of waking you up a little bit better here this morning. What's the mascot for New Year's? One of these. Father Time, Baby New Year, Ghost of New Year, Keeper of Time, Gus the Groundhog, Philly Fanatic, or none of the above? Which one? Yeah, it's Father Time is the one that actually is it. Here we go. In what country did New Year's song Auld Lang Syne originate? England, Scotland, Canada, Australia, Great Britain, Germany, or Myerstown? <laughs> Which one? Yeah, yeah, Scotland is right. You're smart. Here we go. The phrase Auld Lang Syne means what? Does it mean till we meet again, dear old friends, time has gone by, I won't forget you, happy new year, I'm so happy, time to let go, bah humbug. Which one? A, till we meet again? Mm, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> It means time has gone by. It has to do with time. I knew that much. Here we go. In which country do folk eat 12 grapes at midnight, one for each month? If the grape is, uh, is good, then it's going to be a good month. If it's sour, then it means that month is going to be a bad month. It's Spain, Cuba, Mexico, Italy, Greece, all of the above. Italy is not one of them. Greece is not one of them. And it's, it's not all the above, so it's got to be, the answer is actually all three of those countries, Spain, Cuba, and Mexico, they all do it. <clears throat> Here we go. What historical event listed below happened on a New Year's Day? One, the first rover landing, America's 49th state, UN headquarters opened, first McDonald's. Uh, ONO was founded, Francois de Ono. Euro became legal currency, or we got a new pastor. This isn't prophetic, this is history, okay? <laughs> Any ideas? Yeah. We can rule out one. Okay, Ono was not founded by Francois de Ono, okay? <laughs> C is not right. The euro is one of them. And not the first rover. Landing and America, that was January 3rd. Actually, it's G, okay? 1987, I became the pastor and on January 1st, and uh, Euro in 1999. I've been here longer than the Euro. Uh, what do Poles traditionally eat for good luck each New Year's? Pork and sauerkraut, pickled herring, carp, black eyed peas, chocolate, Polish sausage, or Spanish rice? It's not black eyed peas. <laughs> it is the pickled herring. Doesn't that sound delicious? Mmm, yum. Here we go. In Jewish tradition, which food is used to represent a sweet New Year? Is it chocolate pie, ice cream, candy, honey, apples, horseradish, or scrapple? It is the honey, you're absolutely right. Here we go. Which of the following were the top five New Year's resolutions by Americans 2017? Be a better person, save money, be more patient, stick to a budget, stop smoking, lose weight, exercise, get organized, find a better job, eat healthy. Well, they weren't all, they're in order. Okay. Which ones do you, pick out which ones you think were the top three. These are the top ten. Lose weight. Exercise. See, we can't agree on anything, can we? <laughs> there they are. Those are the top ten in the order that they were chosen. And by the way, do you know how many people made the resolutions? How many average people make the resolutions? About 48% of people make resolutions. And you know how many do not keep them by the end of the first week? <laughs> there we agree. Nobody does. Okay. Yeah. One more. One more. New Year's trees are popular in which countries? China, Iran, Germany, Brazil, Turkey, Vietnam, Pakistan, India, Russia, Poland, Ethiopia, South America, uh, South Africa. They have Christmas trees. Hmm. Let's go with C. 
Okay, Turkey and Vietnam. Here, let's do it. Let's continue just a little bit. Okay, question here about the wise men. How many were there? Okay, tradition says there were three because... Okay, we three kings, you have the idea of the names that are given, you know, as far as in, in tradition, but we actually don't know, okay, the three gifts, we don't know how many there were, we just know there were wise men, more than, more than one, okay, that's all we know. The question often comes up is where did they come from? Now the passage says in Matthew chapter 2 that they came from the east, and again, tradition says they came all the way from India or the far east, but that east from the writings and scriptures could be Babylon, Persia, the areas where, quite frankly, where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and others had lived, and they had become wise men. They had, be, they had become sages and scholars, and it makes a lot of sense that they along with all the others who were captured by Babylonians and the Persians, that they would study different religions, different histories, different uh, astronomy, and different things of those, of those sorts. And so the wise men, very well, they were exposed to Scripture. It could be all the way back to Daniel's day that they had been exposed from him and generations beyond coming from that region. Some would ask this question, and even you hear this frequently, when and where did the wise men show up? Traditionally, the the idea is that they show up at the, at the manger along with the shepherds. That's what legend says. But we read in Matthew chapter 2, they came into a house. And when they approach the Christ child, he is no longer, the word is no longer a baby. It is the idea of somebody who is older than, a, than an infant. In fact, Herod will kill the youngsters as old as two years old. And so the idea is that they come months later after the birth, they come into that region and uh, they're worshiping the Christ child. Now the big debate in a lot of different articles that you have is the star. What exactly was the star? And there's a lot of different, uh, different uh, postulation and theories about the star, if it's a conjunction of planets. And a lot of people look at this in, in the idea of looking at astronomy because they want to date the exact birth of Christ. And so they look and see if there was a conjunction of planets that occurred right around 5 or 6 B.C., which there was, by the way, and something that was, you know, was it just ordinary or a certain cluster of stars? There are a number of us who would say, okay, we don't really know, but it had to be a supernatural event, not just something ordinary. And the reason that some of us would say that is you read the text, it leads them from east to west, and then it leads them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which is a different direction. And then it says that it stood over where the child was, identifying the exact location, which seems to be something very unusual. Not, not planets in the sky far off, but something closer that gave them that direction. And so when we study these wise men, we can learn a lot of details and we can study. But for me, what I find fun is doing character studies and looking and saying, what kind of traits did they have? What kind of characteristics? And we're coming to that season of the year. We're winding and getting out of Christmas. The wise men came after the Christmas time. So I thought this morning we'd just have a little bit of brief study on just looking at the characteristics of the wise men and make application to say, hey, listen, they were sages, they were wise years ago. What did they do that we could duplicate so that we too in 2018 can be wiser? That we can be sages in our time? And looking through their story, there's a lot of just a little bits of tidbits there that really give us a lot of good virtues, a lot of good characteristics that we can emulate. Let's read their story together. You follow, and then we'll point out these thoughts. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there were wise men that came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes, and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes? of Judah, for out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And sent, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go 
search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the child's young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they came, or when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And then we go on and we can make some applications that we learn that real wise people like them, like those men of old, they are individuals who make it their personal goal to worship Christ. These fellows weren't unique. This is something we can do today. But they said that we are come for one primary reason. We are come to worship Him who is the King of the Jews. Now that fits a lot of scripture that you and I need to remind ourselves as we entered in 2018. God has given us another year for one reason, so that we can bring honor and glory to Him. Do we have plans? Do we have intentions? Do some of us say, okay, this is going to be the year I'm going to graduate. This is the year I get a license. This is the year we get married. This is the year that we are planning to expand our, our family. This is the year we're going to change and we're going to do things financially different. Or we're going to make a major purchase. And those things are good and proper and nothing wrong with them. But our primary primary goal, the reason we are created is so that we can glorify God. He makes it very clear that we are designed, we are, we are given life for this major reason. In fact, Jesus talks about it at the woman, with the woman at the well. He says there's a time coming that God is seeking people to worship Him. And He is desiring people to worship Him. He is wanting to worship. And He says that hour is now at hand with Christ being there. That we worship God. This fits our whole motif, our, our goal of saying whether therefore we eat or drink. It is our goal to glorify God. So the wise men of old, we should duplicate that same idea. We should be desiring to worship Christ. That we magnify Him. That we honor Him. The worship basically is simply this. Making Him bigger than us. Making Him so that He is seen by all. So wise people are people who they have this as their goal. They have this as their desire. We're going to worship Christ. We're going to magnify Him. We're going to bring glory to Him. Number Number two that stands out in this text that's very important and it's related but I think it's an interesting point to observe they worship Christ and Christ alone. Now here's why I'm saying it. They come into the house look at the passage talks about how when they come into the house where the Christ child is in verse 11 they see the child but they also see who is identified in the text in verse 11. They see Mary, his mother, but they don't fall down to worship Mary. Are there different religious groups that magnify Mary, even to the point that he, she is elevated above Christ? Oh yeah, oh yeah. We, if we're going to be wise, we have to say, wait a minute. We come and when we worship, we recognize Mary and Joseph were laudable characters. We recognize that they have virtues, they have characteristics that, that they were honored in a special way to be stewards of Christ as far as the, the child and rearing him. But they are not individuals that we're supposed to magnify and honor. Some of us grew up in a different religious system. Some of us grew up, we never heard the Bible when we were young. Some of us grew up in a system that we were taught that when you come to church that Mary is the one you pray to. Mary is the one that you bring your, your pleas to. We were talking with an individual just a few weeks ago uh, in our community, somebody going through illness, and we were trying to say that we were praying for the individual, we, we you know, coming to the Lord, and they kept on referring, well, as I pray to Mary, as I go to Mary, as I go to, you know, as I light candles to Mary, I'm sure that God will hear because Mary is my intercessor. And that person is convinced of that. However, Scripture says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one. And so when it comes to worship, you and I want to be very careful that we clearly make this, this known. We are worshiping Christ. We are not worshiping any other individual like Joseph or Mary or Jesus' six uh, siblings or five, five siblings. We, we don't worship any of them. We don't worship John the Baptist. We worship our Savior. And we recognize that according to Scripture, even Mary said, my Savior and my God, that she was a sinner. She needed 
needed a Savior like you and I do. And so wise people are individuals who will pay homage not to other folk, not to things, but they pay homage to Jesus Christ, that they worship and magnify Him. Wise people number three. Wise people accept and respond to the revelation that they have been given. There's revelation given to the wise men. And it is interesting, we don't hear any details given about where they found it. Maybe Daniel's writings is what I surmise. But we don't have any details given beyond what they said. But what they said is really profound. When they make this comment in chapter 2 and they say, where is he, verse 2, he that is born king of the Jews, we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him, that reveals that they have a lot of understanding. From scriptures, if they were to go even to the book of Daniel, they could find this out. But here's what we know that they know. We know that they as individuals, they believed that there was going to be some divine person being born. Some individual had a unique characteristic. Somebody that was worthy of coming and worship. And being individuals, they're worshiping divine beings. They understand that this divine being is being born into the human race. They understood that part. They also understood that he was going to be born into the Jewish system. That he was going to be an individual who would, who would not be a nationality that they were acquainted with, but he was going to be Jewish. They, they understood that. They understood that he's going to set up a universal kingdom, a kingdom that as king of the Jews would entail them as well, would bring them under that umbrella that he being a Jewish king, being a divine being is worthy of they being Gentiles, their worship. And so they have a lot of knowledge a little, from a little bit of information that they've been given. They conclude that this person is real unique. And so they expect that they respond to that. They, they know that this, this one is one that is, is just so, so uh, exalted above every other individual. And so taking that information, they respond personally to what revelation they have. As well, taking that revelation that they have, they also do this. They personally do whatever it takes to get closer, physically closer to this individual. What I mean by that is this, is that we know, we know that the, the presents they give are really profound presents. We understand that. But they, in getting closer to Christ, they put a lot of effort into the journey. Uh, let me see if I can rephrase it this way. Gifts sometimes that you give, it's not always just the gift itself, but it's what's behind the gift. For some of you, you gave gifts even this Christmas, and um, it may not be something phenomenal, something financially profound, but because you put personal effort into it, that makes it even more special. One missionary was sharing that there was a young boy in his community that he had ministered to. This young lad had been, a, had been saved through his ministry and so this young boy responded by going to, uh, to another part of their island that was quite a few miles away and he picked up a very rare shell that was on that type of a, of a beach and brought it to the missionary and gave it to the missionary as a Christmas gift. The missionary's response was, well, you know, this is something that is really, really unique. You shouldn't have done it and especially you shouldn't have gone that two-day journey over to the other side to get it. And the little boy was caught off guard. He said, yeah, but the journey was part of the gift. That is true in a lot of things we do. That when we, when we give gifts, it's not just the finances, it's the activity, it's the effort. And so here's the wise men giving a lot of effort to come and worship Christ. Their effort is profound. They are traveling weeks and months to come to worship the Christ child. If we understand the history of it, that this was a long time, this was, this was a dangerous trip, this was a costly trip, not just the gifts, but this is a, this is a, a phenomenal undertaking. They would have probably have had to have some type of guards protecting their, um, their goods that they were bringing. They come into the city and there's enough of them that they catch the city's attention and create an uproar. So these fellas are doing something really, really, really hard for them to do. Hard for most of us to do. To go way out of their way so as to get closer to Christ. To get, to draw to Him, to spend time with Him. 
It's the inconvenience of the travel. It's the inconvenience of the danger. It's the inconvenience of the added expense. But they did it. They did it. They took the time. They took the effort. They, they put out the, the sweat, the finances, because they wanted to get closer to Christ. Now you're approaching 2018. What have you been thinking about how are you going to get closer to Christ? In a way that we're talking spiritually, drawing closer to Him. Let's add to that this thought. They not only wanted to get physically closer to Him, they wanted to learn more about Him. They wanted to inquire, well they did inquire, as to getting more details so they could find him and they could learn about him and they asked questions. They, uh, they, they know Revelation. They've already known and said that he's the king of the Jews. He's a divine being. He's one that's worthy of worship. But here they are, beyond what they already know, they are individuals inquiring. They wanted to know more. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? We want to come. We want to worship him and they even ask directions. Now I know there's a lot of snide comments that can be made about the wise men asking for directions. You know, the, the popular one on the internet is the wise men, if they were ladies, they would have asked for directions right away, been no problem. And you make all kinds of, of you know, uh, silly uh, discussions about asking directions as these wise men did. But the point is they wanted to learn more about Christ. They wanted to get closer to Him. And they were willing to ask people that were, were quote-unquote inferior to them. People not trained as well as they were. People without the money as, as much as they had. And they were humble enough to say, we want to learn about him. We want, to, we want to get close to him. Where do we go? What do we do? What can you tell us about this one? Assuming that all the Jews would know about it. Assuming that all the Jews were worshiping him. They were one who, uh, individuals who made personal effort to learn more about Christ, to get closer to Christ. It was more than just we're going to think about doing this. They put the effort into it. They actually did it. They planned how they could get closer. They planned when they got there asking questions. What can we do to learn more about Him? Here's the challenge I have in my mind. The challenge in my mind is to say, okay, are we wise people? Are you, me, wise individuals? In the sense that what will we do in 2018 to learn more about Christ, to get closer to Christ, to worship Him? Let me rephrase that. What plans are you making right now in your mind as you've wound down this year to improve and increase your spiritual knowledge of Christ? What are you planning to do to improve your worship in 2018? By the way, if you make no plans you're going to achieve it. Nothing will change. But what plans have you made? Parents, what have you thought about in this last week or two, how are you going to help your kids to learn more about Jesus in 2018? How are you going to help those teens develop a stronger, closer walk with the Lord? What have you planned? What have you thought of doing? What, what's going through your mind? Have, have you said, okay, we are going to, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. So I got to get a Bible, I got to get a chart. Um, I am going to work on my prayer life. And so I'm planning and I'm making preparations by getting a prayer journal prepared. Uh, I'm planning on learning more about Christ by doing a study of Scripture this year. And this year I'm going to take a topic and I'm going to get some books, get some information, I'm going to study something in the Bible about whether it be prophecy or whether it be angels or whether it be parenting or finances. Uh, I'm going to learn more about Christ and I, wanna, I want to get closer to Him. So here's some changes and adjustments we're going to make to worship. I want to improve my worship and so um, I've been thinking to improve my worship, it does make a difference where I sit, who I sit by. And I want to minimize distractions. And so I'm going to make some adjustments. I'm, I'm going to, you know, take the notes. I'm going to, and, and I don't have any problem, but we just heard illustrated a few weeks ago that one of our individuals said, I'm not using my electronic device because it's too much of a temptation to get distracted when I all of a sudden get text during service. Well, for some of you, you might say, I want to use electronic device because I can keep up with Burgraph a little bit better. Okay. 
But what are you planning? What are you thinking? What have, have you purposed as a parent? Have you considered purchasing some apps that you could use to, to help your preschoolers in their knowledge of God? Have you thought about a book that you and your teens could read and discuss during the course of this year that talks about Christian living? in this day and age. What have you thought about? What have you planned? Wise people make plans. Wise individuals are those who say, I want to learn more. I, I know stuff about Christ. I could pass most, most um, you know, Sunday school quizzes, but I want to increase my knowledge. I want to improve my worship. And wise people make plans. What have you thought about? What plans are you making? What are you going to do in 2018? Again, I say this. If you don't have any plans and you make no preparations, you'll achieve just that, nothing. No great increase, no real movement. Some of you, some of you young couples, okay, why don't you start by picking up some devotionals that you can read together as a young couple to train yourself and discipline yourself to read scripture at, at least both of you read some passage that's familiar, similar during the day, whether you read it together or apart, and then come together at the end of the day and you can reflect on that and pray together. Set some goals. Set some plans. Make some preparations. Real wise people do that. Wise people are not ashamed to talk about their belief in Jesus Christ. These men come into the city. They move into Jerusalem. They cause an uproar through the city. Why? Because they, in verse 2, come into the town and they're saying, where is he? In verse 3, we read that Herod is upset. He is troubled in all Jerusalem. Why? Because these guys are inquiring. These guys are sharing what they know about Jesus Christ. They don't hold back. They don't, they don't hide it. The wise men enter, they talk, and they're making it very clear. We believe there's a king that is born. It's interesting. They go to Herod, who, who you know by now, Herod's title, though it was an incorrect title because he wasn't historically and he wasn't blood-wise, dynastically, he wasn't Jewish, but he had adopted the title King of the Jews for himself. And so they're coming into town. No wonder there's an uproar. They're saying, walking around town and saying, where is the new president? Where is the new president? Where is the new president? And they go and ask Trump, where is the new president? Okay, and that would create a little bit of Oh, all kinds of stuff he would be doing, right? Okay. So here they are, they're coming in, and Herod's going to react. That makes perfect sense. But they're not timid. They're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed to say, we're on a mission. We're here to learn more about Christ. We're on a mission. We're going to share. And uh, you didn't know that you had a king that was born there? You didn't know something that was so commonsensical, and they're talking about it. Without shame, without embarrassment, without fear, they're sharing what they know. It, it is so easy for us to ridicule individuals, to mock individuals who don't know what we know. But you know, there are times where individuals, even baby Christians, do a lot better job than some of us who are older when it comes to sharing their faith. I was reading a story about an individual who was a lamplighter. Lamplighters in generations gone by, it was a job that you and I, we can't relate to. But the lights that would go down the street, they were gaslit in, uh, in the evenings. These guys would walk down the street and they would hand, you know, light each one of those lamp posts and then move on. And then when it was coming, you know, close to dawn, they would go back through the route and they would snuff out each one of the, the lit candles and turn off the gas or lit flames and turn off the gas and that was their job. Again, that job doesn't take great degree and training. It was kind of a simple job. And so, you know, being simplistic, a lot of the individuals who were hired to do that job were probably not the cream of the crop education-wise. And one of the individuals who had that job was an individual who was quite, quite a character historically. He is, as his pastor relayed and wrote the story years later about what happened to him, this fellow had an evil background. He was, he was considered one of the most wicked men in town. He came to a church service and got saved. And when he got saved, his life changed drastically. But he's not real bright. He's not real sharp. And he can't really explain things 
And so one of his friends comes up to him several months later who he used to hang around and used to carouse with and he starts mocking him saying, I heard that you changed. I heard you got religion. You know, and why is it you don't drink and carouse and carry on like the rest of us? You know, what's with you? And you know, what is this? What did you find in the Bible and in that church you're going to? And the, the man, again, he didn't, he couldn't remember much scripture and he just tried to explain and it wasn't going well because he fumbled over his own thoughts and he was just saying, but, you know, I, my, I, I just found Jesus. And the man says, well, you can't even tell me how you found He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, I can illustrate what it means in my life to find Jesus. He said, every day I think about this. As I go through my job, he says, at the end of the, the, end of the nighttime, I come through and I put out the lights and I turn off the gas and then I go to the next one and he says as I do that I think about how my life has changed through Jesus Christ because I turn around and I look and all I see is darkness everything is dark but when I turn the other way to where I'm headed I see light that guides me to the next that's the way I used to live but now Christ guides my step step after step and it's a change in my life Oh, his mocking critical friend said, well, that's a silly illustration. He says, how does that show anything? Because eventually you turn off all the lights and then you're just left in darkness when you snuff them all out. Is that what Christ has done for you? He says, oh, no, no, no. Every day I get thrilled by this thought that my life has changed from darkness to light. And when I finally put out that last one on my route and everything is dark, I look and realize that the dawn is just coming over the horizon. And I think to myself, the dawn of a new life in Christ in eternity is ready to come any day. He says, that's what hope I have. I have a hope of a changed life, and in the future, I'm going to be where there is light eternal forever and ever. I don't know about you, friend. I can't explain everything, but I have come from the darkness into the light, and I have hope in the future. Do you realize... That story had such an impact on his critical friend that his critical friend went to church with him and got saved. It's interesting that individuals who cannot theologically explain all the issues can make a tremendous impact. I have told you several times about the man who mentored me in ministry, how when he was in the Navy that there was one man on board their ship that got saved who was the barber on the ship. This man was not highly educated, wasn't really, really quick-witted, but the man memorized one verse. That was about all he could handle. But every man on board that ship had to get to come and sit in his barber's chair whenever they were out on the sea, and he would quote that one verse to him. He would quote John 3.16, John 3.16. I don't know, but I know John 3.16 says this. Yeah, but what about I don't know, but John 3.16 says this. 300 men on that one ship got saved because of that barber's simple witness. My friend, you and I can make an impact if we would just speak for Christ. If we would just talk, you here have so much Bible knowledge that you could do so much more for Christ. Are you willing this year to say, I'm going to be wise and I'm going to make it an effort. I'm going to pray about this one person and I'm going to work hard on winning that person to the Lord. I, we as a family are going to make it our project this year to reach this neighbor. We are going to invite somebody to come to worship with us, to hear the gospel. We are going to make it a goal that we hand out a tract at least every week I hand out a gospel tract. You can do so much more for Christ as a witness if you plan it, prepare it, and determine that you're going to follow the Lord that way. Wise people will share what they know about Jesus Christ. It may not be everything, which the wise men didn't know all the details. They didn't even know where he was born, but they knew he was the king of the Jews. You who are born again, share what you know. Share it with others, real wise people. Real wise people will seek after Christ no matter what others do or don't do. What others do or don't do. I remind you, they come into the city. They talk about Christ. They get no encouragement, really. They, they, they are, they're talking to the citizens in the street. There's an uproar, but nobody is really joining their caravan. They, they talk to Herod. He gives them information, but we all know the story. Herod was not a worshiper. He was trying to find Christ to kill him. Their reactions are amazing. The city's in an uproar. The, the, the wise men even hear from the 
people who know the scriptures, the scribes, who give the information, he's born in Bethlehem. They understand the prophecy, but they don't move. They, they don't join the clan. They don't follow. I mean, maybe, maybe, I'm, I, maybe I watch too many mysteries. Maybe, we, maybe we're so TV exposed. I would have thought this. If I wanted to get rid of the Christ child, instead of telling them to go and find him, I'd, I'd follow them. I'd go with them. Okay, nobody even did that. Why is that? Because nobody was encouraging them. Nobody was for what they were, what they were doing. Isn't that true in many areas of your life? You stand for Christ and maybe your co-workers, maybe your clan classmates say, well, that's nice. But most of them don't rally to you. You, you follow the Lord. You get born again. You get baptized and you say, I'm going to start serving the Lord. Your family members, they might pat you on the back and say, well, it's nice that you found religion. But they usually don't say, hey, tell me. I'm going to go with you. They're not like that. And after a while, it gets discouraging when when all of a sudden you hear the negativity, when all of a sudden others who should know better about coming and worshiping Christ, and they don't respond. And you look around and you go, boy, this is, this is kind of draining. The wise woman could have said, wait a minute, nobody's joining the ranks, maybe, maybe we should just quit. When nobody else is interested in spiritual things, when all of a sudden you find out that nobody else in the barracks, nobody else in the, at the class, nobody else at the, in, the, in the dorm really want to study their Bible, well, maybe I shouldn't either. Nobody else wants to, to worship the way you want to worship because they're too busy in their life. Well, maybe I shouldn't be such a fanatic. Now, wise individuals, they say, wait a minute, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to worship. I'm going to get closer to Christ. I don't, I don't gauge my life based upon what others do. I'm going to do what I know God wants me to do. I, I'm going to serve. I, they can make fun of me, but I'm going to go to church. They, they can criticize me, but I'm still going to have on my desk Bible verses that stand out and encourage me. They may mock the way that we raise our kids, but we're still going to teach our kids to pray before a meal and that God is on the throne. They may not like the music that we listen to or the fact that we don't do the same movies that they do because of the vulgarity or their immorality, but we're going to honor the Lord because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. See, wise people are not dictated to by others, by the culture or even by the community of religious people who provide no encouragement. Wise people say, I'm going to do what I know is right, no matter what others do or they don't do. That's a wise person. A wise person shares their faith. They do what's supposed to be right. They want to get closer to Christ. They make plans of improving their worship and their knowledge of Christ, all because they know their ultimate goal is to magnify Christ. Wise people, number eight. They display an attitude of joy, even though there's hardships going on around them. There's difficulties that are happening and taking place. L let me pose this to you. Would you like to ride a camel for a year? Yeah, we don't know exactly if there was a camel. Would you like to travel constantly for six months? No, most of us would say, are you kidding me? Would you like to just move along? Here we go at a camel's pace, and we're tenting out night after night, no matter what the climate is. Now, we sanitize the stories, but the reality is traveling would have been difficult. It would have been, it, there would have been danger. There would have been hardships. They come into town and they're excited because they've arrived at Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem is here. And then there's a hardship of nobody helping, nobody encouraging. And yet they have a spirit of joy. How do I know that? Because it says when the star, and this is after all the travel, this is after their stop at Jerusalem, it says they resaw the star again that's going to lead them to the house and they have exceeding great joy. They didn't let the circumstances dictate their joy. They didn't let other people dictate their joy. They didn't let the hard work that they were doing rob their joy. They were individuals who, after traveling a long time, after getting no help, after, you know, seeing people upset, they are rejoicing in God's blessings 
Even though others don't understand the blessings of the star, they do. And they are thrilled by it. They are thrilled and encouraged because they realize that this blessing of the star showing up again is God's blessing upon their project. And they're thrilled about it. I understand. Life is difficult. Maintaining joy, there's, there's challenges. A lady calls the police. She calls the police, the local police officer gets on the phone and she says, hey listen, I got a problem, can you help me out? He goes, what's your problem? She said, you know, my kids were playing outside and, you know, they had left some food and crackers outside. They had their own little picnic outside and a skunk came, ate the stuff and since their picnic table was close to the basement, there's the window, the, screw, the window is broken by the basement. Oh, the skunk came in and is now living in my basement. Can you come over and get rid of the skunk? And the police officer said, no, that's not our job. Smart officer. He says, no, it's not our job. He says, you can call the animal this or animal that. You know, and she says, well, I've tried, but they said they won't deal with it. And so he said, well, in, in town we don't have anybody that gets rid of skunks. He says, hey, I got an idea for you. Why don't you do this? Why don't you take some of those crackers that your kids had and make a, make a trail of crackers from your basement window out towards the woods that are right out off your yard. Surely the skunk will be attracted. It was attracted already, and then it'll just leave. She calls the next day, gets the same officer on the phone, and she, he said, hey, I recognize you're the lady with the skunk problem. She says, yeah. And he says, did it work? She says, well, yeah, it worked. The skunk's attracted to crackers, there's no doubt about it, because two more came from the woods, followed the trail, and now I have three in my basement. <laughs> that would rob our joy, amen? Okay. <laughs> if you had three of them now. Okay, those types of circumstances, we all, we've all lived through those. We have those. We have those events that things don't go the way we planned. How do we respond? How do we respond? Where's wise individuals realize that even though we may not have the ha 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 happy moments, we still have an internal joy. A joy that should not rob us of being in peaceful relationships. A joy that should help us to maintain a harmony with others without the arguments, without the upsetness, without, without all the, the friction that happens. Having joy is a sign of real wisdom because you go to the Lord, you're close to the Lord, and as you do that, the Lord just gives you that stamina and strength. Number nine, wise people do not give up. They don't give up when serving Christ leads them into situations or places they're not expecting. Okay, The wise men, of old, they did not expect Jesus Christ to be where he was. They go to the capital city. They expect the king of the Jews to be in a palace, to be in a court. They expect him to be born amongst nobility. They have traveled far. They have brought pretty expensive gifts. They have brought along with them not just a small amount of gifts, but man, as we'll see, we were, we'll see when we pick up this Bible study later, that their gifts are not just the quality, but the quantity is quite expensive. They expect to be with royalty, physical royalty, humanly speaking, royalty. And so they travel, but they end up at a, I'm going to say a shack, okay, a house, and we know that Mary and Joseph are not wealthy individuals, correct? Yes, do you do realize that? Okay, because they offer what for a sacrifice? The turtle doves, the poor man's sacrifice. And so they have moved, they have settled, they're living in Bethlehem at this point. Months after the birth, they're there. He's got to be reestablished as far as job and business and clientele. And so they're not wealthy individuals when they, when they first arrive. And so they're building up. Their house is probably the normal house. Okay, it's not the palace. It's not what the wise men expect. It's not, it's not the you know, Taj Mahal of the Jews. And yet they come in and they worship. Has God ever led in your life in a way that you didn't expect? All of a sudden you had these plans that this is the way it's going to work. And you were going to, okay, this isn't all of you, but a few of you. You were going to hit retirement age. And after retirement, you were going to be able to just really enjoy a little bit of travel, a little bit of work, a lot of the kids and grandkids. And you didn't expect retirement to be what it is. You didn't expect all the doctor visits and the health issues. 
You, you took a job. The job that you took was going to, boy, this is, this, is, this is the job. This is my dream job. And I will take it and it's going to be fabulous. And you take the dream job and it's right down your, your career desires. But once you get there, you find out, wait a minute. The office relationships, the interaction isn't really a dream. It's more like a nightmare. And the way they do things and the way that things are conducted and the expectations that they have, they told me that we were working normal working hours. I didn't realize their normal working hours were 70 hours a week. You know, and even when I go home, I'm on call. And I thought for sure God was leading in this. And I didn't find the dream job. I found tragedy. This never happens to anybody in this room. But if I marry that person, my life will be no problems. We get married, we'll never have a, a tension between us. We'll never have an argument. We will be best friends forever. We will never, ever disagree about anything. Now that is definitely a fairy tale, okay. And you get married, and marriage isn't quite what you expected. There's a lot of give and take. A lot more give than take. And all of a sudden, you've got these, you know, oh, dreams that we all had. We're going to have a baby. And when we have a baby, it is going to be cootsy-cootsy, cutesy-cutesy all the time. Nobody told you about the midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 4 o'clock feedings. Nobody said that you will be a zombie because you never sleep for the next six months. Nobody gave you that. And, you're, and, and nobody told you about how loud and long they can cry. And that they can't communicate. And you can't communicate. And once they do start communicate, they don't stop. Okay. And it wasn't quite what you expected. You thought parenting was going to be a breeze. <laughs> and you're finding out this is the most challenging job in the universe. Amen? Okay. We have, we have all these ideas that are good ideas. And we say, okay, we're going we're to serve God by populating the earth. We're going to serve God by getting a good job and giving to missions. We're going to serve God by, you know, making sure neither one of us are lonely. We're going to marry. We're going to serve God by, you know, and then when we get to that spot where we thought it's not quite what we dreamed. I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way at all. There's a lot of things that happen in ministry that they never told me in seminary. They never taught us how to spread salt on single degree days. That was not a course. Okay. They never told us that while we're spreading salt, the salt spreader will break down. They never said that to us. Okay. You know, talk about robbing joy. You know, and it's like, and, and, and I have no problem with doing that. I mean, it's to serve you as a delight. But there's things that we all run into. Well, the wise men run into it and they respond with the right attitude. They're, they're like the guy who had this experience, the story is told by some preacher in America, Billy Graham or something like that, about a friend who, this fellow was serving the Lord, but things didn't turn out as he got a little bit older. He lost his job, he lost his fortune, his wife left him, and his kids were taking sides, and he was just at a low point in his life. And as he's at this low point, he's walking the streets in one of the major cities here in America where he lived, and he stopped one day, and they're, they're working on one of the cathedrals. And there's a stone-cutting mason that's working there, and he's cutting out a certain stone, and this man was enamored in just getting his mind off everything else. He's watching this guy cut this stone and chisel at it and get it just perfect, and finally he said to the young man working, he said, oh, exactly what are you doing? He says, oh, I am, um, I'm getting this stone ready. He says, there's a spot way up there close to the base of the spire where there's a blank that this stone had fallen out and we're getting it ready and I'm working down here to get it just right so it fits when it goes up there. The man walked away with that in his mind. 
I'm working with you down here so you fit just right when you get up there. And he thought to himself, that's what God's doing in my life. God is working with me down here so everything fits together when I get up there. Problem is, most of us want everything to fit together right here without him working on us. But God brings us into difficulties and challenges. There was a docudrama that was on TV a number of years ago. One of those reality shows before there was reality shows. They had permission from the doctors and the patients to follow some cancer victims. From the very beginning, when they would find out they had cancer, all the way through the treatments and either the cure or their passing away. They targeted three different families. And a couple of them, one of them was a success story in the sense of curing. But one of the couples they followed was a black pastor from an inner city church, he and his wife. They come and they start off with the cameras at the, at the day that they're coming to the doctor's office and that older man and his wife are sitting there and they get the news from the doctor that you have terminal cancer. We can give you a treatment, it's going to buy you time, but it's eventually going to take your life. They followed this couple. Even on the docudrama, they follow them out to the car where this couple gets in the car, they're teary-eyed, they're crying, they hug each other, and they pray. And they thank God for what time they've had. And they commit themselves to God in this unexpected new adventure. They continue following, along with the other two couples, they follow this pastor and his wife. And they get to the point where it's the pastor's last day to preach. He is haggard. He is beaten by the cancer. It has taken his vitality. It's taken his strength. But he's in the pulpit. It hasn't robbed him of his joy and of his dedication. And I quote his sermon, part of his sermon that day. Some of you have asked me if I'm mad at God for this disease that has taken over my body. I'll tell you honestly that I have nothing but love in my heart for my Lord. He didn't do this to me. We live in a sinful world where sickness and death are the curse man has brought on himself. And I'm going to a better place where there will be no more tears, no suffering, no heartache. So don't feel bad for me. Besides, our Lord suffered and died for our sins. Why should I not share a little bit in his suffering? Then he began to sing without accompaniment, in an old, broken voice. My Jesus, I love thee. That's victory. That's a wise man. That's the individuals that you and I want to be like, who say in the depths of our heart, no matter where God is leading us in 2018, no matter what difficulty, what challenge he brings into our heart, my Jesus, I love thee, I know you are mine. That we will follow you, we will serve you no matter what. That's a wise person. Is that you? Is that what you want to be?